Welcome to the Smiling Boys podcast. This is a podcast that explores a public health approach to improving the mental health of black boys while challenging the negative stereotypes often associated with this demographic in the society. This is a happiness research informed podcast themed on the eight pillars of happiness explored on my research trip to the top five happiest countries in the world. Now, isn't that cool? Hello and welcome to another episode of the Smiling Boys podcast. And I will be exploring today with you guys another pillar of happiness, which is the pillar of purpose. And this is one that I think is super interesting because it encompasses so much, but uh, I'll kind of dice it into little chunks. Today's episode will be exploring specifically around how that impacts the ways in which young boys and us as as a society, how we grow up to identifying what it is that our life trajectory would be, what kind of things we would engage in in terms of work-wise, and how that impacts the ways in which we live our lives, the quality of the life that we do live, and inevitably how that impacts our happiness. So before we get into the crux of what today is, I'm going to start again with some research excerpts and some elements that kind of preface some of the things that we're going to discuss around the themes and particular theories and models of purpose that we're going to kind of explore in today's episode. So I'm going to explore the ancient Greek word for happiness, which is called eudaimonia. And this basically follows Aristotle's perception of happiness as a meaningful and purposeful way of life. Another kind of concept I'm going to explore is Japanese concept, which is called ikigai, right? And the Japanese concept of ikigai is one that researchers have explored for many years. It means the reason for being, and it isn't related to someone's financial status. It's about the mental and even spiritual circumstances that mean people feel their lives are valuable and worthwhile. So this is the Japanese concept of the word ikigai. And the um, etymology of this word, because I love etymology and I think it really gives a lot of insight into a lot of things, is this two words, iki, which is uh, the Japanese word, which uh, stands for to live, and gai, which means reason. So ikigai is reason to live, if you're going to be quite literal about the word. And it kind of is broken down into four components. That's what the, the theory and the way of life by the Japanese people that practice ikigai is into four components. And they are what you love, what the world needs, what you could be paid for, and what you are good at. So those four components really make up the ikigai philosophy around how you should live a life of purpose, live a life that has reason. So the four components are such essential parts. And we're going to kind of explore how these really feed into the ways in which we kind of create our lives. And it's really interesting to kind of have that parked in our brain when we kind of explore various elements at a later point of our discussion. So the psychologist Michiko Kumano describes Ikigai as the eudaimonic well-being, as it entails actions of devoting oneself to pursuits one enjoys and is associated with feelings of accomplishment and fulfillment. So Ikigai is also touted as one of the reasons why there is a long lifespan for the people of Okinawa, which is a city in Japan. And history and evidence has shown that those people live much longer and live much more purposeful lives. They they retire at a later date and the amount of 
fatalities in those people amongst older population is much less. So that's a really interesting kind of finding. And a lot of that is attributed to the stringent philosophies of Ikigai, which is really lived out specifically in Okinawa, Japan. So the Global Journal of Health Science suggested that having the feeling of Ikigai influences the functioning of the prefrontal lobe. So that's again, another interesting finding based on this philosophy of Ikigai, which is deployed predominantly in Japan and Okinawa specifically. So I'm going to play you guys an audio of me exploring the themes of purpose and the themes of Ikigai with these young people, but without actually calling it that because to a young person, what the hell is Ikigai, right? So for me, asking the questions around what it is that they love, what the world they think the world needs, how they could be paid for these things and what they're good at and how collectively this informs the decisions around the things in life that they think they are going to do when they grow up in terms of the work, what is going to bring them money, what's going to bring them fulfillment, what's going to bring them purpose. And um, we're going to explore after listening to, to these young people's audio, some elements about the discussions. If you literally could create a dream job that you'll be doing for the rest of your life, what would it be? To be able to speak through Japanese and teach other people too. And to teach it to other people. But if you could actually just do something that will bring you joy every morning that you wake up and will still make you bread, what would that be? Yeah. I don't know why I help other people, but like, I like it myself. Okay. But you don't know what that thing is yet. Yeah. Okay. So I want you to think about that from today. To so really think about that. I'll just do what you do. I'll talk to you. Okay. Music videos on. What's stopping you from making it now? Lack of, lack of homework. No, lack of resource. Because I don't have the, the, the stuff. Software and the laptop and things like that. So what's stopping you from being architect? Putting that much work into your football? I just can't be up, so. Okay. At least you know that. And you know that that's your choice. You're deciding not to give that extra energy. But to think about that, if one of your biggest dreams is to maybe play football, you probably want to be better than most of the kids around you. So that means you have to consistently train, you have to consistently try to better your skills and your stamina, all those things. So you need to take that leap if you want to do it for the rest of your life. If you had to do something that will make you bread and bring you joy and happiness every morning that you wake up, what would that be? I want to be like my own boss when I'm older. Yeah. Earn some money, but I won't be a strict boss. I'll, I'll help other people as well. So that's interesting, right? Listen to young people kind of reel out their ideas and their ambitions and their perspectives on the things that they would love to do in life. Say they had the ultimate agency and autonomy to create this life themselves. And that question really kind of challenged a lot of young people in terms of really giving them such a freedom to create a life of theirs that is solely driven on what they love. And they were really kind of perplexed by that idea. A lot of them thinking, what, just anything that I, I would do in life that I love? And, uh, and some of them talk about all these things. They're so passionate about making music and, you know, playing football or, you know, being an architect or, you know, starting their own businesses and asking them, you know, okay, so what's stopping you from being on that journey of doing that right now? And someone was like, I'm still a kid. I'm like, okay, yes, but what else is stopping you from, you know, making music that you say you wanted to make or for playing football, you know, and actually getting them to be honest about some of those barriers that they've created themselves. Like the young person who I asked about the football and he spoke about the fact that, well, he can't be asked sometimes to train. He can't be asked sometimes to be diligent and improving his skill set. Another young person, you know, speaking about his desire to make music and asking him what's stopping him about that. But actually he's speaking about very tangible infrastructure like software and laptops and, you know, resources like that, that is actually prohibiting him from actually starting to live out this true 
expression of his love for music and also how he sees the life that he wants to live, which is based upon him creating music and making a living off of that. And when we look back to these four components of Ikigai, you know, I use them as anchors to really start to question and explore how do we create a life worth living, a life that's full of purpose, a life that actually seems valuable and worthwhile. And when we kind of use these things as anchor points to really navigate those decisions, it really starts to make much more sense. And when you ask the young people on and in this case, asking ourselves, you know, what do we love? If we close our eyes and think about something we would do because we love it, what is that thing? Especially when we think about the times that we're in now, right? Where a lot of people's jobs were just taken from under their feet when they thought they were in the most secure position. A lot of people who got made redundant, all these other things. The question, which I'm sure and I hope is one that actually serves as a compass tool for us in this time is actually, what do we love? This might be an opportunity to really look at those things that we may be weren't able to look at before about why are we in the places that we're working or why are we doing the careers that we're doing, right? Is it one that is steeped in real love for what we want to do? Um, or is it one that's based upon necessity and the need for capital? And the second bit is about what the world needs and what we love. Is there a marriage point? That's another question to really help navigate some of these ideas of what our purposes are in the world. And ultimately, obviously, we need to make a living from this, right? So how can we be paid from this? How can those three things marry? And then finally, how can we be good at that? Or what are we good at? And ultimately, this is the interesting bit because with a lot of us, being good at something ultimately has the idea that you were born to be good at that. And actually, that's something that, especially with young people, I really try and challenge with these young boys, you know, asking them to be good at something doesn't necessarily really mean you were born good at that from the start. It just means that you are willing to put the work in to be able to be good at that thing. You're willing to be consistent failure in that thing with the hope that you get better. And that's something for me, you know, when a young person talks about, you know, he would love to do what I'm doing and get up in the morning and talk to young people and create projects like that and really highlighting to them that actually I wasn't born with all this skill set of, you know, being a photographer or being a filmmaker or being a playwright or being an author or all these other things that I do, right? I wasn't born with any of these skill sets at all. I was born with an aptitude, a desire, and a resilience to be able to not take no for an answer, to be able to teach myself these things, to be able to to look for the places where I can learn these skill sets that I have passion for. And how could I be comfortable in the mediocrity of the initial stages and to also continually put out that work, even though I don't think it's as great as perhaps I want it to be. And that's something that, you know, so interesting to really de- mythify for young people around the fact that when we think about being good at something doesn't mean that you innately are good at it in all cases, some cases that's that's how it is. But in most cases, most of us and most people have to work hard to actually be better and proficient at these things. And that's something that's really important to demythify for young people. When I think about, you know, careers advisors and schools and people who their jobs is to actually allow us to imagine a world where we can exist with different jobs and different ways in which our skill sets can be valuable. Those positions are not positions that are used with the kind of power that they acknowledge that that position should have because you have the power to absolutely allow a young child to think beyond imaginations, right? To think about how they can focus on what they love and how they can use that to create something that is of need for other people and how they can be paid for it and how they could be good at it. And that's what the job of somebody who is a careers advisor should be as opposed to 
telling kids, which there are many who have been told that you can't be this. You're not good at this. You cannot be a doctor. You cannot be an architect. You cannot make a living from being an artist. You cannot do this. And these are things that have been told to me numerous times in different stages of my life. And if I just listened to those things, I wouldn't have been able to, to design a life that is based upon those four elements of for myself. And that's something that's really important to really think about how much discouraged voices they are in the minds and the ears of a lot of young people and lots of us as, as young people when we were growing up and even till now you know when people might be told I actually know that the, the chances of you feeling that that is very high maybe you shouldn't do this and maybe you shouldn't do that you know those are just people that are operating from a place of fear so when we think about purpose I think it's important to really use these four components as anchor points to really help navigate our thinking and especially when we're trying to empower and inspire younger people to really think about a world they can shape based on things that they're passionate about and things that they love it's important to kind of redirect them to these four pillars of ikigai in terms of helping them fashion these thinking processes as well because when i think about the institution of schooling i often have to undo a lot of the damage that has been done to these young people based on the ways in which they have been taught in the schools and what they've been told or how they've been reinforced about what they should be only focusing on in terms of what they can do in life it really is very disheartening to hear how much discouragement has happened to a lot of these young boys in terms of how their lives can look and ultimately when i show up as a a black man in a space where i identify as an artist and it's not just one medium that i exist within allowing them to broaden their mindset about the fact that you can make a living by just being a curious creative by being somebody that's open to learning as somebody who is very in tune with who you are and what it is that brings joy and life to your soul and that's something that i model to them which is very unlike a lot of things that they have been exposed to in terms of i guess physical role models in their everyday lives or somebody who's an educator and that's something that i think is so important to really reinforce force when we're in institutions that have the opportunity to teach things to to young people in the world. Most recently, psychologists have found that repeatedly people with a strong sense of purpose in life tend to fare better on several different measures of mental health, well-being, and even cognitive functioning. So there's something so intrinsically linked with the idea of strong purpose and actually our mental health and our well-being. And that's something that's also really interesting to really think about when we think about how we actually bring this forth in institutions of scholarship, institutions of education, and actually allow people to see that there are direct correlations in these seemingly very different elements of our lives, but actually there's such a strong correlation between those two things. And most recently, a team of researchers from Canada and the United States surveyed about 4,000 adults between the ages of 32 and 84, and they found that the adults who reported a greater sense of purpose in life also tended to score higher on tests of memory and executive functioning. Even in the initial stages of adulthood, it appears that purpose in life already matters. So research on about 700 young adults found that those with higher levels of purpose in life had more positive self images engaged in less delinquency and had higher overall well-being so these are just myriad of evidence research-wise statistically that kind of back the idea that you know purpose has a tangible outcome and the quality of life both on a health level but also on a cognitive level in terms of how we engage uh, into the world so one of the things i would just like to kind of engage in our critical thinking is around certain things that we can do to really start to shift uh the ways in which we engage with this theme of purpose is to encourage creative curiosity that's something that as children I I think it's innate within us. You know, children are born with the idea of just learning by figuring things out. And this curiosity by doing, this idea of imagining the possibility of something and really following that to the 
nth degree is something that I really admire in childhood and, and when I see children. But sadly, the older we get, the more this gets beaten out of us. And, you know, what I'm really advocating for and really hoping that we take from this is really trying to revisit this ideology of encouraging creative curiosity, not just thinking about what makes money or what makes you successful, but actually thinking about what is going to bring about more creative curiosity. And that's something that I would always really advocate. And another thing is to encourage young people and encourage people to try stuff out. I mean, it sounds so simple, but actually the older we get, you know, even in institutions and schools, we do not encourage creative failure. We do not encourage people to try stuff, even if the outcome is going to be failure, whatever that means. Failure is just an opportunity to learn. And actually with the work and the project that I design and I deliver in schools, it really focuses, the emphasis is on creative failure to encourage young people to try things, giving them a camera, if they've never shot uh, anything before, to get them to really go and play around, you know, give you the, the basics of this actual tool and the rest, let your eyes and your mind guide you. There's no wrong, you know, as long as you are applying yourself in it, then it's ultimately the most important thing. And that's what we should continually encourage, especially when we think about encouraging young people to be the best version of themselves and to live a life of purpose. That's important to, to encourage that element, which then leads to the idea of reframing problems, to provide them with the opportunity to start thinking about problem solving, to think about every time there's a there's an issue or there's a problem, the creative element of your brain needs to be activated. And for that to happen, you need to nurture that. And for that to happen, that needs to be created in an environment that's conducive for them to think that way. And we have the responsibility as educators, as institutions that raise young people and to broaden young people's minds to allow them to actually grow up thinking that way. And uh, to understand it's also a process. You know, when I talk to young people about what I do, you know, a lot of them think, you know, yeah, I just woke up and, you know, the first thing I did, you know, I got all this bread and now I'm living as an artist. And that's not ultimately what the case is, you know, and I'm very clear and very explicit to them about how long the road and the process is. But the fact that I'm super passionate about what I do is why I am unwavering in my consistency or my persistence or breaking down the doors or knocking down doors or whatever it is, you know, understanding that, you know, before I even get anything funded, sometimes I had to apply for 38 different applications where I get 37 no's before I get one yes. You know, getting them to understand that a lot of times when I propose ideas to people, people laugh at it and think it's stupid. What are you talking about? Boys smiling. Boys smile all the time, right? And then until I was able to to really fashion it myself and, and actually find a way to make it happen by myself was that able to tangibly manifest into reality so getting them to understand that most things is a long process but what gets us through that process is the unwavering passion and resilience and persistence to really keep pushing at those things because we're passionate about those things and we love those things and it's important for young people to see people living their lives based on things that they love to allow them to actually have the permission to feel like that's something they can also aspire for in their own everyday lives. And the last bit is asking for help, right? And I think when we think about purpose and we think about living true life, it doesn't mean that you are somebody who stats on a, starts up on a pedestal. It just means that you're somebody who knew when to ask for help in the right time and to understand, actually, I don't have this skill set. Who can I bring on board to help me develop this skill set so I can actually live on my purpose to its uh, fullest? And that's something I think is important to model to, to young people, especially boys, because I think ego is something that, again, we are socialized and conditioned to have from a 
young age. So therefore, we find it difficult to ask for help because we are told that we're supposed to be the old north and we're supposed to be the ones who are providing the bread in the household. So actually, we find it difficult to then actually sit in position of humility to ask that person to help us, that woman, that man to help us out when we actually genuinely realize that's the limit of our knowledge. And that's something that I think is super important to really model. I guess the last thing I'm going to explore is that it's really important to live a coherent life. And what that means is to live a coherent life is to live your life in such a way that you can clearly connect the dots between these three things, right? We can connect the dots between who we are, what we believe and what we are doing. If we can connect the dots between these three things, we start to fashion a life that is based upon true purpose, who we are, what we believe and what we are doing. If there is an alignment in these three things, then we start to live a life that is actually one that is based upon the four components of Ikigai and actually having a life that is coherent, a life that actually leads us towards a much more clearer, a more fulfilling, worthwhile purpose. So hopefully that has kind of helped us engage in this theory ourselves and really think about how we can adapt certain things that we do and adopt certain elements of this Ikigai philosophy in the ways in which we parent, in the ways in which we live our lives moving forward, and in the ways in which we educate young people and model this behavior and this mindset in our lives. So thank you guys so much for engaging in today's concept and I hope you were able to take something away from it and live a life full of purpose. Much love. Catch you on the next episode. Peace.